Employee motivation. It's the number one topic, it seems. You see, right now it's the thing to talk about culture and culture fit. We are priming the pump with culture, culture, culture. And then we hire people and they might fit the culture, but they aren't motivated to do the job. So what happened? Hi, I'm Deva Mills, the Rebellious Recruiter. Candidate motivation is a hot topic, but how can we identify motivating factors and use them to keep employees engaged? It's a surprisingly simple tool. And recently, I had the opportunity to teach it to a CEO that used it in another way that was very effective. Today, we're going to talk about a tool I learned two decades ago and how effective it still is. So pull up a seat. Let's chat. As you might have heard on other podcasts of mine, I started recruiting just over 20 years ago. When I started, company culture, it wasn't part of the consideration. Obviously, we looked for people who got along with the boss and could work the hours the company wanted, but we simply worked off mission statements and scopes of work. Nobody talked about company culture and company values. My personal opinion is that while culture and values are important, we've lost the sticking reasons of valuable employees because there's a fundamental mismatch in what a person emotionally needs to come to work every day. Now, I'm not talking about their need to have a shoulder to cry on or their need to be friends with their coworkers. I'm talking about the work that needs to get done dynamic. So culture, it gets them in the seat, but what gets them to stay in the seat? Well, here's the tool. It's an acronym, and it's easy to remember. CLAMS. C for challenge. L, location. A, advancement. M, money. S, security. Now, I'm going to take you through the use of this acronym in a way that I was taught to use it, and then I'm going to take you through it the way I watched my CEO use it recently. Both methods are highly effective, but they bring up different viewpoints during the interview. I was taught that there are five types of drivers for people when seeking a job. Candidates have the main one, and they should be matched according to what the company needs the position to accomplish. This part of my recruiting, it's become so natural to me that I don't even have specific questions around it when I talk to people. Instead, I watch and I listen for what lights them up. Then I start digging. If there doesn't seem to be a match with my needs, I don't assume. I start talking about what the business needs, and then I listen to their answers. There's no perfect match out there. If you're a student of Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages, you know that people often have a primary and secondary love language. The same is true with clams. It's quite often there's a primary and a secondary. If their secondary matches what you need the primary to be and everything else lines up, you have a great candidate and you'll likely have a solid employee. Okay, into clams now. So starting with the C for challenge. Let's say you have a brand new HRIS, Human Resources Information System. You have a team that has not used a modern one, and let's say you want to have a person who is up for the intricacies of programming and managing it. You want to advertise about the challenge your company is facing and how you want people who have proven they can take on challenges effectively and successfully. You aren't looking for someone who has administered one. Why? Well, let's break it down. 
A person who is motivated by challenge and has competent system skills, they're going to resonate with the issue you're facing. They will be motivated by taking on a challenge that no one else has done. In this scenario, you aren't necessarily looking for a person who's motivated by where the office is. That's not to say that a person who's motivated by location isn't a good fit, but it means if they say several times over the course of the conversation, I've always wanted to work in your city, or I'm sick of paying for downtown parking, they might be missing the point of what your needs are and they aren't listening. Don't get swept up in that conversation. If they can't tell you the types of work-related challenges they dealt with and the solutions they've been a part of, does this make sense? Because then we have the L for location. Location is totally a viable factor and can be a main source of your advertising, but you still need to get the job done. If you discover that most of your staff has been taking the job due to the fact that they can work from home or because they're moving to a different city and their family is there, this can be a great factor if you don't have competition in your area. While this is a motivating factor for many people, I still take extra caution to ensure that the person is capable of doing the work. Because if they're motivated by factors that aren't work-related, you might have a problem on your hands. Now on to the A. A is for advancement. This is a great motivator for larger companies. And if you're a quickly growing company, a person who is competent and wants to climb the ladder, absolutely look for someone who's motivated by that carrot. Do be aware, though, that many candidates especially recent college graduates who are specifically looking for that. Colleges and business programs, they often fail here when they're teaching students. I've dealt with several college seniors who want to work for a small business, but they want to do a management rotation program. It's really funny when they do a management rotation program because they don't know what area of business they want to work in. And that's realistic, right? This is just not something that happens at a formal level in small business. At least I've never seen it. Plus, you don't want your full staff advancement motivated because your turnover will spike each time there's an open position. If advancement is part of your culture, you only want 10 to 20% of your employees motivated by that potential. Pay up. It's the money part. M. Here's the deal. I don't buy into the whole ideology of do what you love and the money will follow. Nor do I buy into the concept that people should be happy to have a job. I think those are very American ideals. And if you want to enrich your culture, people who come from other countries have a lot to teach us about this. Years ago, I had a manager who was bilingual, Spanish and English. He was reviewing a type of online character assessment program that was supposed to filter out unethical behavior. So, he was testing its Spanish capabilities and ruled against the program. Why? Because all of our employees from various areas of Latin America would have failed the test. The test asked questions about stealing, but it didn't say, do you steal from your employer? It would ask, do you take from your employer? Or some variation of that question. The word in Spanish, it's more of a concept the concept for someone who is from Latin America really comes across as, of course I take from my employer. I give them my time and my talent and I take their money. Of course the question on the test gave no context around it and he took it as one of our non-native English speakers and he failed. But I digress. Money. 
money is a viable reason to go to work. Not everyone who is a hard worker is passionate about what they do. If they show up, if they're reliable, do a great job, they deserve money for the job. Maybe the money is to support their backyard chicken breeding hobby, or maybe it's to ensure their family is on the right benefit plan. Whatever it is, don't rule out somebody who is about money if they can do the job and they fit the culture relatively well. Now the final letter, S, that's for security. I don't mind working with people who are security-minded, but I do take note that many people who are security-minded, they don't always tackle challenges with a robust mindset and probably need a bit of routine in their day or a highly routine position, which is great. They are the steady eddies of the world. These are the people you want working side-by-side with your advancement-motivated people. They'll train them to do the job. They have the keys to the tribal knowledge of your company. They show up prepared. They're reliable. And generally, they are a plethora of information. Stability-minded people hate, hate looking for new jobs. Often, they're embarrassed by it. I use clams a lot when matching people into departments, positions, selling what the position is about. When I key in what that person's motivator is, I can then cross-reference and reinforce that they will receive as a result of doing their job well. Because again, recruiting, it's sales. Now, what was the twist I came across recently? Well, before I started with my new position, I was a 1099, and I was communicating with the CEO about this tool one day that I'm more on the C side of this acronym. He took the acronym a whole different way. Still a sales principal, though, And he used the whole thing in a discussion with me. What kind of challenge will keep you engaged? If we need you on multiple sites on multiple days of the month, can you travel to various locations as needed? What type of advancement do you need? Are you interested in moving up? How much do you need to make to stay here and be engaged? So what is stability to you? The last part of the discussion threw me for a loop. But you know what? We had an open discussion about what it would mean for me to leave and what it would look like and what kind of notice and conversation needs to take place prior to that exit. It was really a fabulous way to have that information on the table. Now, there are other things that are motivators in interviews, and many times candidates think they are motivated by one specific thing, but they really aren't. They are motivated by the romanticism of something, or their friends told them to be motivated by that thing, or they're just saying it because it sounds good. Like the time a candidate told me he really wanted to work in a team environment because he was solo at his current position. It sounds fine on the surface, until I started talking to him about his manager and some of his coworkers. It became apparent that he fought and argued with all of them. He didn't like their ideas, felt he wasn't appreciated, etc., I'm sure it was a two-way street there. The result was that he incorrectly thought that being on a team with others with the same skill set meant that people would see things his way. I told the recruiter who sent him my way that specific information. And I remember the recruiter was a bit taken aback that I got all that information from a candidate in 30 minutes. He had spent more time with him prior to my interview and brought him into it because the guy wanted to work on a team. Why? because the recruiter believed the first answer and didn't get context behind the answer. This is why I talk about using the follow-up questions. 
if you present the concept of clams openly, what's going to happen is most people will claim to be challenge-motivated. And most people, they aren't. You really need to find out what challenge means. Like the time I was working with a third-party recruiter and expressed that I needed a challenge-motivated person. Suddenly, I had three candidates who only talked about challenge. The recruiter had coached all of them to say the right thing. I started digging. One person really wasn't up for the challenge. And they told me that challenge means there will always be a job. Well, that simply isn't true. Sometimes challenges are problems that get solved and then go away. And the challenge-motivated candidate, they move on. That's fine. What I was sitting across was a person who needed predictability, safety, and security in their job. And in this environment, specifically this department they were interviewing for, that was none of those. And yes, I told the recruiter to stop prepping the candidates that way. Pro tip here, don't be afraid of being direct with your recruiter. Most of them are relieved they don't have to peel information out of you. This wasn't one of those times, though. Okay, to wrap this up, there are a lot of tools out there. Implementing all of them takes time, effort, and understanding of human behavior. As you know, if you listen to my episode zero, my hope is that you can take one idea from each podcast and use it in a way that enriches your selection process, your training process, or your mentoring process. So keep this acronym in the back of your head when you interview and start noticing what lights candidates up. Remember the fishing analogy? This is where the rod flexes. It still has structure. It's not going to break, but it flexes. Let the candidate run that line out for a while, then reel them back in, keeping the flexibility. Clams and fishing, it's really what recruiting is all about. Thanks for listening to The Rebellious Recruiter. A quick reminder, I'll be bringing you new information every Monday and an occasional interview later on in the week with another thought leader. Be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening to this and comment, rate, and review. And share this podcast with other leaders that are looking to build out-of-this-world teams and maybe have a penchant for defying best practices. Go ahead and check me out at millsgroupllc.com and drop me a line there with your thoughts or questions. I might use your subject matter in upcoming shows. And thank you for listening. I know you only have so many hours in the week and I'm grateful to spend this time with you. Until then, make it a great day. I'll see you on the flip side. This podcast is produced by TH3 Entertainment.